episode 251 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. You can get a free three-day trial of the Ground School app by visiting learnthefinerpoints.com. This holiday season, purchase a Bose ProFlight Series 2 aviation headset and get a SoundLink micro Bluetooth speaker for free. The headset features active noise cancellation, tap control, and side-swappable mic for ease, comfort, and reliability. It's the lightest, most compact aviation headset from Bose yet. Take advantage of this special offer between November 20th and December 31st. Order yours at bose.com aviation. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today's episode is I'm an Instrument Pilot, Now What? with my buddy Chris Palmer. It's a great episode. I released it probably about a year and a half ago now, but it is one that needs to be brought back up because it's very prevalent. You're an Instrument Pilot, so what are you going to do now? You going to get a job? No. <laughs> so listen to this, see what you need to do, and uh, enjoy this episode. As you heard me talk about first four bars, they've changed my life on the road. Check out the link below. I promise you it's worth trying them. They are so good. I just got the meal replacement chocolate ones and to die for. So go ahead and check that link out below. And Aviation, I don't want to waste any more time. So any further ado, here's I'm an Instrument Pilot, now what? Episode 152 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. Hey y'all, Chris Palmer here from Angle of Attack. Uh, I'm a flight instructor, flight school owner, content creator from Alaska. And you can find me all over social media and YouTube, Angle of Attack. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is the third installment of the episodes that I'm doing with Chris Palmer from Angle of Attack. We are starting from zero. We started with student pilot. We went on a private pilot. Now we are talking about instrument rating, instrument pilots, what you should do, what you need to know, how you can, and why it's important to get your instrument rating. So Aviation Nation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Chris's stuff. You can check him out on Angle of Attack. He has a great Instagram page and he's one of my good friends and uh, always great to talk aviation with him. Uh, if you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot to Pilot. We're also on all social media with at Pilot to Pilot. Please follow us, interact, comment, like. Aviation, this is a very quick intro. I don't want to take any more of your time. So any further ado, here's Chris Palmer from Angle of Attack. AV Nation, welcome back to the series that Chris and I are doing. We are putting together a series. We're taking you through, uh, we're kind of putting ourselves in the mindset if we were either a private pilot, instrument pilot, or a commercial pilot, or even student pilot, the first one. If you haven't listened to those, I recommend listening to them in order. So you can start with uh, the student pilot, go from private, instrument, commercial, send it to all your friends. I think it's really good stuff that we got going on here that we're talking, that we're sharing, and some stuff that's not always talked about. So I think this series will be pretty beneficial for a lot of people. And now we're on instrument and now we're going to confuse everyone. Everyone. Because <laughs> that's what instrument is all about. No, not Pretty really. Much. I mean, at some point it is though. At some point your instrument is 
you just holding on to the plane for dear life, just having no idea what's going. And then I always tell people for just all of a sudden just makes sense. Like all of a sudden a yep. light goes off in your head and you're like, and your brain yeah. just like, I get it. It's, and there's it's nothing so true, man. Yeah, you can't explain it I, to anyone and it happens at different yeah. points for everyone, but it's just like all of a sudden you're just like, oh my gosh, I understand it. <laughs> yep. I can totally tell you exactly where I was and on what approach I was on. Well, now you have to tell when us. that happened for me, when it clicked. What was it? So I was, I was, I failed my first instrument check ride, by the way. So did I. So we, okay, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. I'm in good company. Yeah. So, um, we can talk about that later and why, and, and that leads to a lot of my perspective on instrument. But, uh, the second time I did my training, I went with my instructor, lived in Utah at the time. We flew to the Oregon coast. There was lots of actual IFR there. And we went there for three days. We just went up and down the coast of Oregon, Washington. And then like on the third day, we were in Crescent City, um, Crescent City, California, which is like the northernmost city. And we were on a GPS approach. It was a northerly runway. I want to say like runway one, three, I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, I was just like, my hands were like moving exactly where they need to go to like dial the frequencies and put in my minimums and everything was just like perfectly smooth and amazing. It just all clicked like all at once. They can't see the smile that's on your face right now as you're telling a story, but I can tell everyone <laughs> that he is beaming from ear to ear right now, the smile, remembering the story. It's awesome. Yeah, it, yeah it's insane. Great, I don't remember the specific time it was. I just know that instrument for me was just, it was really just keep going. Like uh, it's eventually going to click and you just have to believe in yourself and believe in your ability and believe that it will click for you too. Uh, it will eventually, but it's just a lot of, it can be hard. It can really challenge you. It can really make you think, can I even be a pilot? Can I even be an airline pilot, a commercial pilot, whatever it is? So it's a difficult rating for sure. And it's supposed to be difficult. It should be difficult. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it should be difficult. It's inherently difficult, but it shouldn't be more difficult than necessary. Right. That's yeah. Okay. So your instructor shouldn't make it more difficult on you, but like, <laughs> It's going to be difficult because it's different than anything you've seen since we've started. And it's like, it's all mental. And and that's probably where I'll keep coming back to is like, it's such a mental type of flying. You're in your head constantly. The ability to like fly on the needles and everything is like three to 5% of what you need to know. You can play video um, games. You can fly needles, you know, essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that kind of multitasking, but then apart from that, it's like, yeah, now you got to know all the other stuff. And that comes with a lot of, lot of knowledge, a lot of, uh, effort on the ground. Um, and a lot of, a lot of putting the pieces together because in, in instrument, and we'll get into this, a preview here, but instrument is like a couple thousand or several thousand pieces of information that you need to know on how everything works but then needing to know what, at what point you need that piece of information and how they are interconnected. It's kind of like, you know, those kid books where they have the, the, the draw, like you start with number one, draw to number two, draw to number three. And eventually when you draw all those numbers, like you have a picture, that's what instrument is like. And when you're first starting out, you're just like drawing the number one and two and three and four and five, and you don't know what you're doing. Like, why am I doing this? This does not make any sense. And then eventually it comes together in that moment that clicks, which is like that last number. Then it's like, oh, there is the big picture. 
No, that, that's a good way to look at it. And I mean, you describing that, it actually made sense to me. So no wonder why you're a pretty good CFI. <laughs> <laughs> I just came up with that, by the way. Like I've really? never thought of that analogy before. Yeah. You need to write that down. You need to trademark it, whatever it is, and, <laughs> and start teaching that because that was pretty good. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go ahead. So we just talked about private pilot. That was the last episode that you and I have done together. And I want to kind of take us back to private pilot mentality. Um, why should a private pilot either get their instrument training or get their instrument rating, sorry, or even get comfortable, would go up with an instructor and get a little bit of training and feel comfortable flying in clouds? Uh, now, obviously, if you don't have your instrument rating, you should never seek going to get cloud. You should never seek flying in clouds. You should never go fly and approach. But let's be honest, there could be a time where you, we talked about this in the last episode, you might be pushing yourself. You might not kind of understand your weather minimums and the weather might sneak up on you. There could be an opportunity, and I've actually heard this scenario while I was flying. There could be an opportunity where you have to shoot an approach. You have to fly through clouds. Something happened and you didn't plan it right or just the weather was completely crazy and you're going to have to rely on your instruments to get down. Whether that means to descend through 3,000 feet of clouds, that could be really dangerous if you have no idea what to do, or even 500 feet, or to actually shoot an approach to go land. Um, it I, To me, personally, I think that Everyone should get their instrument rating. Now, obviously, I do different flying than you do. I fly instrument all the time. I'm always flying instrument rules. I appreciate when everyone's talking to a controller because that helps me in my spacing and where everyone knows and I can build a better, better mental picture. But someone that can appreciate flying GA more, and GA, obviously, I still fly GA, but can appreciate flying and the freedom of flying, um, some people might not have that same standpoint. So I guess where we all want to start is for the person that doesn't, for the private pilot that doesn't think they need their instrument rating, why would you tell them it's important for them to have some training to be able to get themselves out of a situation that might come up, that they might find themselves in with either poor planning or just surprise weather? I, I think that's a really good perspective to come from because if you're going to sell someone on why they should do their instrument rating, you can come at it from several different perspectives, all on a like a varying degree of safety. The first is, well, if you learn how to fly instrument, then you can go and fly in like all these new conditions and do all these new things and go new places and do so in a lot of different types of weather. And then there's the idea of it being a career leap, which is kind of like whatever, like that, like you're going to have to do your instrument if you are getting a career in aviation. And then there's the idea that you're kind of alluding to, which is kind of the, kind of the biggest selling point for any private pilot, which is increasing safety. And we don't do that because we want to necessarily fly purposefully in those conditions, but rather we want the skills to be able to get out of certain things if we get into them. And so really what you're doing is you're taking, you're taking this gap between like the type of flying you can usually do and, and, where that safety margin is and you're adding an even larger safety margin to your flying that says, okay, if things really do close in on me for whatever reason, and it happens, um, you know, the weather is bad. It closes in behind me. It closes in in front of me and I, and I have to shoot an approach into this airport. It gives you an option out. We talked about in that private pilot episode about trying to deconflict. Deconflict might be actually leaning on your instrument skills and getting on the ground rather than persisting into deteriorating weather. So I think absolutely the, the biggest selling point on getting your instrument is that get out of jail 
free card that says, okay, now I can, now I can get myself out of this situation because I have these skills. Right. When you, when you build those skills though, and this is just like a little addendum, I have to say, and you would probably, you would probably second this is that once you become comfortable with flying in actual conditions, instrument flying actually becomes like one of the most exciting and one of the most fulfilling and one of the coolest types of flying you can do when you are dealing with those challenges and weather and you're making it happen. Um, it is, it is just really, really cool. It, it, and it can't be, it can't be matched by any other type of flying. No, I think one of my favorite moments in flying and you have to be instrument rated to do this is when you take off out of an airport Say there's a 5,000 foot overcast or you're, you're up from 500 feet to 5,000 feet. You're climbing through, might be bumpy, might have some snow, might have some ice, might have some rain or whatever. But then you get to 5,001 and you're just above all the clouds and the sun's hitting you and you're cloud surfing. And it's just like, it's honestly like pure bliss when you're up there. Like you're just like, you take yourself out and you're like, there's no worry in the world. It's like, this is just so surreal and so cool. So I would agree. Instrument flying can offer you some of the greatest moments of your flying career, your life, views, whatever it may be, anything instrument is, is so rewarding in so many ways. Yep. And I had a similar experience to that. I was flying between Kansas and Austin, Texas. Um, and there's an overcast layer, like at 4,300 feet. And I requested something that's a little known called a block altitude. If, if like the local traffic allows for it, where you don't have to maintain a certain altitude. You get to work at any altitude within that block, say like 4,000 to 5,000. So I requested that block altitude and I flew like right at cloud top on that overcast layer at sunset with my dad and my brother on board. They're not pilots, but we got to share that experience going 200 knots. And it was just like perfect. Like it was perfect. It was the perfect moment in my aviation career. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it unlocks opportunities like that. And then of course, getting into Austin, Texas, the winds were gusting all over the place. It was rainy and dark and I had to do an ILS approach. And that in and of itself was a different type of challenge. It was fun. Uh, no, it, it brings in challenges. It brings in a lot of difficulties too. And it brings in a whole nother scenario to your flying and trusting your instruments. Your whole private pilot, you're taught to look outside, you're taught for horizon, you're taught to look and, and see and avoid. And then all of a sudden you're being told, don't look outside, stop looking outside, focus on your instruments, get your scan and fully understanding the importance of your scan. Because I feel like when I was learning how to fly, I was being told to scan, 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 but I wasn't really being able, being told why I should scan the importance of the scan. It was just, you're supposed to scan. Like that's kind of as far as much depth as my instrument training went. And it didn't go until I was flying myself. And I mean, obviously with my instructor still, I just had to learn on my own be like, all right, this is why this correlates with this. If my speed's slow here, I could be getting, I could be climbing here in my VSI, my altitude, like how everything kind of correlates together and works together. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to see that big picture come together. And I'm sure you get this in the latitude when you get just like that almost peripheral view of a, like of a G3000, I think is what you fly. G5000, you know, no big deal. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or a G1000, <laughs> even to G1000, you get that whole perspective and like everything's just right there and you can kind of feel it happening. Really the same thing's going on with the basic six. It's just a matter of being able to see. It's kind of like, it's almost like looking into the matrix. If you remember that movie, it's like the dudes at the beginning of the movie, they're like, oh yeah, we can see this happening here and this happening there. And Neo doesn't see it until later where like all the little, green, you know, falling numbers start to reveal a picture. That's kind of what instrument flying is like. 
Definitely. And, and let's take it back to first day instrument training. What can a private pilot do to prepare themselves for kind of this whole different world? Do you think it's important for that student to come in with a self-knowledge with, with, with uh, looking at YouTube with either a ground school instructor that they have from YouTube or an app, whatever it may be? Do you think that's important or do you think it's important for them to trust their CFI to mold them in every single way? No. Yes and no. Just um, no. Yeah, no. All right. Well, that's the podcast. I hope everyone has a yeah, good day. That's, that's it. That's <laughs> yeah. a wrap, everyone. Um, so a couple things there. Yes, you absolutely do need to come with some knowledge. I, I think so. If you have an instructor that really has a good perspective on things and will will watch this process, there is something to be said about going for like an introductory instrument flight that your instructor is basically flying the approaches and showing you how things fit together so you can see the flow of where things are going. And then for you from there to reel it back and like start to work on the knowledge it takes to become an instrument pilot. Um, I think that's a good flow, but otherwise kind of as a baseline for anyone, no matter where you're starting is start with the instrument ground school, whatever that is, whoever that's from, you know, I have one. I know that um, the finer points uh, has good ground school as well. There's several other providers. Start with, uh, start with ground school and get knowledge and move forward there because, again, going back to what we said, so little of instrument is about the skill. It's about the knowledge you need. And especially if you get good quality instructors that show you the flow of how things work with instrument, where we, again, we're connecting the dots. We know where things move from one thing to the other. Then things will make sense. And when you go to do that again, you'll be able to actually absorb what's happening. Yeah. Here's one thing that I think I wish I knew before I was, uh, or when I was in my instrument training, I kind of understood, I never really understood that my CFI has limitations. How my CFI is not going to know everything that I think he knows. Because, I mean, in my scenario, the guy that did my instrument, he was a good instructor. I have nothing wrong with him. We did a great time, but he had his limitations. He was also a 400-hour pilot. He was going to go to the airlines. He didn't know everything perfectly. So I kind of trusted him to teach me everything. And he taught me everything he knew, but it wasn't enough for me to fully understand it. And I finally got to the point where I was like, this isn't enough for me. And what I did was what you said. I did it kind of backwards. I trusted my CFI, which you should trust your CFI. But then I went for outside information. I went to YouTube. I went to to all the ground school that, hap- that they had back in that day, in what, 2012, which was not the same as what we have now. We didn't have apps back then. We didn't have the, the plethora of options for you to, to do your training. But I had to go to outside resources. And I think it's important for you to understand that the person teaching you how to fly, the person teaching you holds has limitations. They understand that a different way than you do. And I mean, some instructors are different. Like you and Jason, I mean, I'm sure you have some limitations in some way. Like maybe you're not as sharp on certain stuff, but if you have a seasoned instructor, they're definitely going to be better. They're going to know how to present stuff so a student can pass a check ride and know how to fly. But there are scenarios, especially if you go to an ATP or school where it's a pilot mill. I'm not saying ATP is a pilot mill, but that kind of goal where it's just push you out, get to the airlines as fast as possible. That person teaching you is going to have some sort of limitation in what they're going to present you in the information. And this brings up a really good point. The instrument, if there's any rating where you don't rush things, instrument is the rating. Guess who rushed? What's that? I said, guess who rushed? This guy. Guess who rushed? Yeah. And that's why you and I failed our first check ride. Yep. That's Absolutely. exactly why. And I, I, I don't even know what happened with your first check ride, but that's why. I, I can already tell you why. 
um, when I did mine, so very similar story. I, I did one of those 10 day IFR courses. Someone flew in and like flew with me for 10 days to try to get my instrument. Um, on my long cross country, speaking of limitations of instructors, I was in Utah. It was February. I had an instructor flying from Florida. My instructor flew me into what I would call had to be severe known icing in Southern Idaho. And it was, it was really wonderful. And so I got like a crash course, thankfully not literally on, uh, on what instrument was like, like literally we built an inch and three quarters of ice. It was like this thick and I'm holding my, my fingers up for Justin on a Bonanza, which can pack on some ice and be okay. But it was like, it was dire. And at the time I didn't understand how dire it was. And that instructor just was not prepared to teach instrument, let alone in, in the area we were at. And so I got to my check ride fast forward and I did not understand how things fit together. I did not understand the context. I was not learning from, from someone that understood the context of how it all fits together, let alone the content. And, and I, technically passed everything except one type of approach, which is like a, I think it was a VOR approach I failed. But then I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to use my instrument. I'm not going to take that one approach. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not even going to use it because I don't have any clue what I'm doing. So like I stopped dead in my tracks. I didn't take the option of finishing that check ride by just showing that one thing. And, um, and just let it go down, uh, you know, a year or so down the road when I approached it from a different way. But yeah, you've got instrument is one of those ratings. You've got to fly with someone that knows what they're doing and how the pieces fit together and pilots at a low hour number do not know unless, unless they had like a dad that used to fly with them in IFR or something like it. You you have to know what you're doing in IFR. You cannot fake it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you cannot fake IFR at all. It will it'll eat you up and throw you out. Like you faking it, you can. I mean, I guess I would say you can only fake it so much. Like I'm sure there's some things you can right. fake and make it look, but eventually, you either can fly an ILS to minimums or you can't. Like you either decide right. to go around or you don't. You know, it's like you either can or you can't. Uh, for me, my check ride where I messed up. So. When I was doing my training, it, it was rushed, like we said earlier, but I was, every single time we did an approach, I was under the foggles. My instructor always told me, okay, go around. Okay, go around. Okay, go around. Okay, go around. So I'm doing my, I can't, I think it was just an ILS. It was going in like Anson County, North Carolina. Some people in North Carolina know exactly what I'm talking about. And some people too, the same instructor, the same DPE that I did mine with. So it's really interesting. But I was going down and I was on the approach. I could fly the crap out of an approach. Like I was perfectly on. We got to the point where I was supposed to go around. He didn't say go around. So I was cruising. I was just flying. Just like in my mind, I knew something was wrong. I didn't really know where I was. Uh, I didn't have a good idea of situational awareness. Obviously I could have saw if I had a GPS moving map or stuff like that, that I was past that point. But in my mind, I still had time to go. I was cruising at the, the minimum decision altitude. I knew that I should level off. I was at my minimum altitude, but I didn't know to put the power in and go around. And someone could be laughing at that, that that is dumb, that's stupid. But in my mind, I went around because my instructor told me to go around. I never really understood the whole practicality of why you go around. Well, I knew why you go around, but I didn't know like the process of when, why, who, what, when, where, why, like that whole thing. So it took me in that moment to learn that I go around. When we landed, he's like, you can fly the plane very well. 
but you're going to kill yourself if you ever do that actual instrument conditions. Like you cannot fly at MDA over the runway, start veering off trees. You know, you have to be in a very protected area and that decision altitude is there for a reason for you to go around. It's going to protect you from hitting anything in this area. So it's like, and he, I, was, I couldn't argue that. Like I knew that I, what I did was wrong and I went up for retraining and I was able to go back and I went back for the check ride. All I had to do is that approach and do a go around and then we went back and landed and it was all good and it was all happy. But I mean, I was very glad. I mean, and at the time I wasn't glad, but I was happy to have that experience of a failure because it showed me, it kind of woke me up a little bit and showed that I'm not the best pilot in the world. I have failures, I have mistakes. And I had to really look at myself and kind of build and be like, is this something I really want to do? Do I want to be the best pilot I can possibly be? Or maybe I can do something else, you know? Yeah, definitely. And and that was a, a really good example of the difference between context and content. Because in the context of why we have an MDA or a, or a DA or a DH, um, and what that actually means to safety, you don't necessarily see that when you're looking at a chart. You don't know where they came up with those numbers, why we're flying those numbers, why is it so important that we do all the things the way we do them well, because they were designed so we could be protected if we keep those numbers. And when you don't, you get in big trouble. And as simple as that concept is, people don't understand it. You know, people don't understand why it works that way. And it, it's, it's kind of shocking to me. It's like, how, as an instructor, how do you not know that this is how these things were built to protect us? And there's usually in IFR, it, it's a lot of like, in a lot of cases, it seems like it's rote memorization and flying the needles and doing certain numbers and kind of for no reason. But if you really dig deep, you can find the reason for everything you do. Um, everything you do in instrument, whether that's the MEAs or the MDAs, like you were talking about, there is a safe reason to do everything. And, uh, and knowing how that fits together is so helpful. So it's cool that you, it's cool that you failed. No offense, but no, I should have failed a hundred percent. I, if you would have passed yeah, me, I would have been and I deserved and it too. Yeah. Yeah. I totally deserved it too. But the difference for me is I decided to stop moving forward and I wasn't really like working toward a career at the time. Um, like I wasn't trying to get to my, to my commercial or anything. So I wasn't in a huge rush, but yeah, it's, uh, you got to know what you're doing. And again, going back to my point is this is the, this is the rating that you don't want to rush. You want to get to that point where everything clicks when everything clicks, you're ready for your check, ride, Or you're ready to pursue the final pieces for your check ride. I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, in my mindset, it was get it done as quick as possible. Uh, I was, I was, I was good at flying. So I wasn't able to fake it. I mean, obviously I was able to fake or mask a little bit of my deficiencies based on my relationship with uh, the the instructor, based on him saying, go around. And I went around that kind of stuff. And I did have some weaknesses that I also could have worked on as well. But I remember when I liked how you brought up, it's like, he said, all right, we're going to do a VOR approach. And you said in your mind, I don't plan on ever doing VOR approaches. It's like, so no, I'm good. My instructor told me yeah, that I will never have to do a VOR approach in real life because this is when like GPS was coming up, ILS, and it was just like, you're never really going to have to do that. So we're not even really going to work on that. So it wasn't that, it was a, a DME, it was a, a VOR DME. So I never did a VOR DME until I was flying single pilot in a Pilatus PC-12 in Mexico in crappy weather. 
That's the first time mm-hmm. I ever did a DME arc on a VOR to land in a crappy airport in Mexico in bad weather, surrounded by mountains. And that was the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever done in my life. <laughs> uh, also, a fun fact, if you fly approaches in Mexico, your plates that you have through JEP or ForeFlight and what's in the GPS, the same points might not match up. So you might have either like a number, the numbers might be a little bit off or you might have a name, but they only have a distance from the VOR. So you have to figure out which one is which and make sure you load it properly. So that was terrifying. That was one of the most terrifying experiences That is scary. And flying in Mexico is kind of enough already, especially when, when I was doing that. I mean, I had a decent amount of time. I probably had 2,000 hours, so it's enough, but it's not enough at the same time. And it goes back to when we talked about in your private pilot episode, uh, when we talked about how that's a ticket to keep learning. Well, aviation is a ticket to keep learning. You need to keep learning. And I remember asking my chief pilot at the time, I was like, hey, I don't know how to do this. And he's like, just load it in the GPS. You'll be fine. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> so loaded in the GPS and I was fine, but it would have been much better to have a better understanding of what was going on. And it's really not that difficult. I figured it out and I was able to do it, but it just isn't very good to have that in the back of your mind that you have doubt, any doubt in IFR. Because IFR, you're operating under very, obviously reduced visibility, but there's things going against you. And in aviation, you want everything going for you. And if you have any doubt in your mind, second guessing what you're doing, that's going to put you at a very huge disadvantage when something builds on that. When the the Chuckies that we talked about in the last episode keep showing and you start doubting yourself and your decision might be late, you might not go around because you're doubting yourself. You might have missed that turn. You might be too fast. You might not flaps, uh, gear, whatever it may be. So I have argued to be very dangerous. And I guess what I'm getting at with this long-winded answer and long-winded uh, talk is to make sure you have everything going for you at once and make sure that you feel comfortable. And at any point you don't feel comfortable, go around. And that's the, that's the smooth flow of instrument that's so important. You have to be like several steps ahead and you feel like you're, you're being reactive to the steps or that you're getting behind. That's where things get out of control. And it's the same way, like you talked about a scan and like how fundamental a scan seemed, seems for you now, but it didn't at the time and like how you wish it would have been better. Um, like as an instructor, being able to sit there in the right seat and judge people all the time and get paid, um, I can tell the second that someone loses focus on their scan. Like the, se- I, I, I just know I don't even have to look at their eyes. Just like get your scan back, get your scan because <laughs> they, you know, you can tell right away they start to lose the needles, and so um, that ends up becoming something just with practice and repetition that you end up getting, but. Uh, and, and exercise and drills and all different sorts of different things. But yeah, it, instrument is like this interesting combination of knowledge and skill and timing. It's like this choreographed song and dance of when you're supposed to do certain things. And if you understand that methodical flow, uh, you can really, you can really do some, some good things. And if you forget how to do that, then you're in trouble. It's almost like a symphony. Like you have to be the conductor of that symphony and everyone has to be in tune in your symphony in order for it to work. And if you don't get everyone tuned up and ready and on the same page, literally like say it's literally on a sheet of music, then it's going to sound like crap. Otherwise it can sound like Mozart or something. (laughs) Like it. Look at you, man. You're on fire today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wanted to get in a little bit about Maybe someone that's new to instrument or maybe someone that was a private pilot and was finally convinced, hey man, you need your instrument ticket. 
uh, I want to really focus on and really get across to anyone listening right now that just because you have your instrument ticket doesn't mean you should go fly that day. doesn't mean you should take a 172 with gust of 30 or gust of 15 in crazy weather and go fly an approach to minimums. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. Okay, time out for a quick PSA. It's open enrollment season again. That once a year window to sign up for changes in your airline benefits, including medical coverage, disability, 401k, and others. Now, this is important because these are pivotal decisions that can significantly impact you and your family's financial future. So this isn't the time to wing it. So do what I do and schedule free benefits optimization review from our partners at RAA. An airline specialized advisor will go over your plan and help tailor your election so you'll know you're making the best possible decisions for your personal needs and goals and maximizing your airline's benefits to the fullest. But your open enrollment period will fly by. So go to raa.com slash pilot to pilot, that's pilot to pilot to schedule your complimentary benefits review today. While you're there, check out their Open Enrollment Resource Center where you'll find videos, articles, and more tools to help guide you through this crucial decision period. Don't miss out. Go to raa.com slash pilot the pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. Um, talk a little bit about your thought process for someone that has their instrument. And we talked about this before, building your own personal minimums, knowing when to go, when not to go. Talk about the decision of having an instrument and how you don't want to rely on that to get yourself out of a situation. Well, I, I, I think, uh, just to play on your words a little bit there, I think relying on, relying on the instrument to get yourself out of situations is okay, but relying on it to get yourself, um, into situations is, is where I get a little skeptical. And, and what I mean by that, going to what we talked about at the very beginning is, is we have this margin of safety with VFR. It's like, we go to the margin of safety where we can see everything and we, we do not ever go IMC when we are VFR private pilots. Right? So then we have this extra margin and I'm holding up my fingers here. We have this extra margin after that VFR rating where we go from that point where we can go IMC to where we meet the extreme edge of what is possible in aviation. And we're talking about, being able to do, let me just come up with like a really extreme example, being able to do an instrument approach, a precision instrument approach down to minimums in the snow, um, which is theoretically ice. Maybe there's even freezing rain mixed into that and there's gusty winds. So a lot of different things happening there. We need a capable aircraft. We need, uh, we need the tools and the precision and everything to get down to those minimums. Then we need the thought of like, can we actually stop on the runway safely? Is it too slick? Like there's all these sorts of different. So we are meeting the extreme edge of aviation safety because at that point, mother nature takes over and mother nature can kind of do anything. So um, playing in that area purposefully, in other words, getting yourself into that on purpose, you are getting closer to the extreme edge than you've ever been where there are no longer any options at that other side. So when you get to those minimums and you don't see the necessary visual markers to be able to continue your approach below, uh, below minimums, there is no other choice but to go around. There's no other option at that point. There may not be another option to come back to that airport, and that's where you need to get into your decision-making queue. Maybe you need to go to your alternate at that point. So 
that's how I think about it, at least when it comes to in our particular situation here where we're talking about a private pilot that is adding on an instrument ticket is you are now dipping your toes in the water of the actual hard limits of what is possible in aviation. And you can go no further than that. So, so you've just reduced your, your ability to get out of it. And, and it, 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 it is a more dangerous area. That is why with instrument, the, the recency of experience, for example, is so much different. We have to do so many approaches within six months, right? Whereas with a private pilot, it's like, Ah, well, if you go up and do three landings in 90 days, you're good. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, they give you your medical again? <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, you go up and do yeah. a flight review every two yeah. years. Well, you're good. But instrument, it's like, okay, you are very close now. And, and so that's where the regulations start to make sense, right? You are very close to the edge now. And this is why you need this amount of experience and practice within the last you know, six months, which honestly is not that much six approaches holds navigating uh, you know the, the things required there that is uh even that is like bare minimum it doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. it's going to be awfully ugly but my point there is that you need to as a private pilot you need to understand that maybe the thought of getting an instrument is not to get into that new bracket of of safety maybe initially your thought is to or unsafety, however you want to say it. Maybe your thought is to be able to get out of situations just in case something were to happen. So you're still meeting the edge of VFR, but then you have a little bit of wiggle room there if something were to happen. And and that makes things a little bit safer. Um, I will say though, I am a big proponent with all of that said, I am a big proponent of flying actual IMC during your training so that you understand what it looks like and how it feels. And with a proficient instructor, I am a proponent of flying it down the minimums and seeing what that looks like. Being able to see what these things look like in real life will wake you up just like it did with you. Um, yours is a little bit different with your DPE failing you and him bringing up that you could have killed yourself if that was a real situation. When you see these real situations in real life, um, you realize how critical it is and, and, and you don't really get it until you've seen it. For sure. And um, I, I agree. Uh, I think uh, transitioning a little bit, my mindset, it can actually, okay, so this is what I'll say. It. The plane I fly at the Citation Latitude can fly in any condition pretty much whatsoever. Like I'm going to go in pretty much all weather conditions. Uh, I think even airlines, I mean, the joke is like, what's, you, I asked my dad, what's the weather when I was younger? And he's like, what does it matter? I'm going to fly anyway. So that mindset that some airline pilots, commercial pilots, uh, some people flying bigger equipment, when they go fly GA and they think, hey, I do this all the time on a daily basis, just because I can do it in a citation latitude, I'm pointing to my model latitude that's sitting next to me. People can't see that, but uh it doesn't mean that I can go do that in a 172. I can go do that in a 206. I can go do that in another airplane. Uh, it's all about what you're comfortable in in that type that type of airplane. Because me going in a 172, uh, I'm not gonna. I would don't think I'd feel comfortable flying a, a, an approach down to minimums without having that certain amount of practice in it. So I think even right now we're talking to private pilots going to instrument or instrument and in, in lower time pilots. I think it's important to also talk to more experienced pilots that think. Not necessarily they're God's gift to earth, but if they can do it in a latitude or an Airbus, they can do it in a 172. Yep, it's, it's totally true. There, there's a different cadence for every type of airplane you fly. 
in IFR and, and I've flown several different types. One of the best I've flown is a Bonanza. And I learned how to set it up just perfectly for that airplane at a certain RPM setting that when you put the landing gear down at the final approach fix, it would, it would slow to, um, it would slow to your approach speed and it would, it would descend at a three degree glide slope. All you had to do is put your landing gear down. So knowing your configurations is just different based on the airplane you're in. And, and yeah, like differentiating between like the private pilot we've been talking about, like you said, when you become a professional pilot, it's different Then, like you can purposely play slash work in that instrument bracket from gate to gate. Like you can be instrument from gate to gate and be confident in your plane, be confident in your skills. Be, you know, that's a whole different story and, and take some work to get there. But uh, yeah, show humility for the type of operation you have and the type of airplane you have for sure. For sure. Now, one thing I wanted to mention too is when you're flying an instrument, obviously ATC is controlling pretty much over what you are doing. Do not let them put you in a bad spot. There's been a couple of times, and I mean, I'm sure pilots do stupid things too, but there has been a couple of times where if I would have let the situation play out, the vector I was on, on the altitude I was at, uh, the whatever they're doing in that situation where they're needed for traffic situation, if I would have stayed in that for a prolonged period of time or as long as they wanted me to, it would have ended bad for me. There was one time when I was going into Detroit and I, I was at 3,000 feet and they need me to extend that for a certain amount of time for departures or arrivals at a Detroit Metro, uh, the big airport there. And I was on the PC-12 and I was getting ice. I was getting a lot of ice and it got worse and it was getting worse and eventually I got a prop buffet. And getting that on the, a PC-12 is doesn't really happen too much. And I, I had the boots on. I had I was doing everything I could. And I was like, hey, can't do this anymore. I need to go down. I need to descend. And all I needed to do is ascend 400, 500 feet. And I was out of clouds and I was able to get the ice off. But they don't know that. They don't know the situation you're in. They know icing. They know um, they can understand severe, moderate, rhyme, clear. But they don't really understand the feeling and emotions that you can get when you're flying that and the importance of you to get out of it and how soon you need to get out of it. So it's important for you to relay the situation and the feelings that you have in that moment to them so that you can both come up with a good situation and get you out in a quick and prompt time and not have to rely on, I'm declaring emergency, I'm descending down. Yeah, this is one of those... Uh, many things in aviation in an in, in instrument specifically and maybe not even like many things maybe we're talking more like a pillar of of ifr uh one being weather one being atc communication one being flying the needles another being knowing the numbers um but atc some of the dogma in our in our culture in aviation of of not having that be like a cohesive relationship with ATC, I, I really want to get away from because I, I think that a lot of the times we think too linear, linearly when we think of ATC. It's like they give us an instruction, we adhere to that and do what they say. And then we wait for their next instruction and so on and so forth. But it 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 really surprised people that the or maybe not, that the the people that are actual professionals or, or fly in a professional way in IFR, know how to work with ATC and get what they want and, and tell them their needs as a pilot, tell them what they need to do and what they're seeing and why they need to do a certain thing now. Um, I found that there is tremendous flexibility there, even for the small little guys that are single engine, that if you can just, if you can 
speak to the controllers and cooperate with the controllers, you can get almost anything you want. Um, depends on where you're flying. If you're flying in the Las Vegas, you're not going to get anything. If you're flying into Salt Lake, they're really nice. Yeah, you know, I, I just they're different places kind of have some different attitudes, and that that's normal too. But um, yeah, you it, it's a working relationship. You cannot. You cannot just blindly go where ATC tells you to go and, and really they can help you do some things that are maybe a little bit thinking outside the box, but you've got to be willing to use those tools. Absolutely. Yeah. It's up to you at the end of the day. You are the PSC. Uh, if you need to do anything against what they're saying, uh, there's guidance for you to do it. Um, you are in control of your aircraft. Try to do it as safely. I mean, do it as safely as possible. Don't try. Do it as safely as possible. But also just know that Sometimes ATC doesn't know the full picture of what's going on in your plane. They don't know the emergency you're dealing with. They don't know uh, the lack of decision-making you might be facing because it might not be your best day. We have uh, some people have bad days as they're flying. So if you have to make that decision, you have to make the decision and don't let them put you in a spot that you can't get yourself out of or a spot you feel uncomfortable. Yep. Yep. And then on the positive, you know, other side of that is just like the antidote to that, I guess, is to cooperate. Like, use this working relationship to get what you need, speak up, may not be a, a normal radio call you'd no, normally make, but speak up and say, Hey, can I do this? This is happening. And nine times out of 10, you're going to get what you want, or it's going to be on request and they're going to do their best to help you. Yeah. And when I tell that story, and when I say that there was very few times where ATC has put me in a bad spot and it's not their fault. They didn't know what was going on fully because I probably failed to tell them exactly what was going on until it got to a point where I, I didn't even know it was going to be a problem. A lot of times you don't have a problem until it's a problem. You know, you can't really anticipate some stuff, but I mean, you can, but I didn't know it was going to get to that level. So it was probably my fault of not keeping them updated. So it's definitely cooperate. It's definitely talk to them and all of that combined as well. Um, I want to transition a little bit to instrument written. What are your thoughts on people taking Shepard Air and just memorizing stuff and just to pass? It's obviously... I mean, if you want to pass the instrument written, uh, if you can get the knowledge some other place, why not? I mean, that test is kind of difficult, you know, but at the same point, you're robbing yourself of some knowledge that you can have. You're robbing yourself of, of a way to calculate, a way to understand the test and learn. What are your thoughts on using Shepard Air, um, using ground school, using uh, whatever might tools that you could have? So I used Shepard Air for my CFII. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was essentially, when I did my double, I was brushing up on everything and I was getting back into the mode of, you know, knowing, knowing the vast majority of instrument stuff. Right. And I just kind of needed to polish up that. So in that situation, it was okay. But for those of you that don't know what Shepard Air is, is it's this outfit that, that somehow they know what all the current possible questions are on the, the written test as it is now. So instead of a bank of 3,000 questions, they know what the current 1,000 questions are they're pulling from. And then they know exactly how to answer those questions and what the, the right answer is. And so essentially what it ends up being is like almost rote memorization. There's a little bit more to it than just rote memorization because they do have explanations for the answers. But from the initial standpoint of your initial instrument, if there's any rating to not do this, it's instrument you need to know almost everything you can about instrument and how it works. 
And I'll even say that you need to know a lot more than you can get in any ground school that's out there. So I offer a ground school. I know that the finer points does too, but you can only go so far with the instrument stuff. And so I work really hard in my particular case to build context of what is actually happening and why we have to do certain things the way we do an instrument and what is going on on the, the air traffic control side. Um, or the, the NAS, the National Airspace System, like why they have to do things the way they do them and how we fit into that. I work really hard to like build that context of how it all works. And when you go to something like Shepard Air, you completely lose context of how instrument works. And when you lose context in instrument, we're talking about, we're essentially talking about situational awareness. You will not know what's going on and when that stuff matters if you just go and memorize stuff. Um, I, I'm not 100% opposed to using something like that. If you just like, if you've gone 95% of the way, you've learned everything you could, and you just want to do really well on the test. I get that, but it should not be a point of study, not at all. So yeah, definitely, knowledge is king when it comes to instrument. Absolute king. I would agree. No, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. Uh, we're getting to 45 minutes. It's kind of the, the max I wanted these to go, but I wanted to ask you maybe one, maybe two questions on the private episode or the private pilot episode. I asked you, what are three things that kind of scare you about a newly signed off private? What are three things that scare you as someone that just gets newly signed off as an IFR? Uh, they have some clouds to go flying and you see them go book a flight to go fly. What's something that makes you nervous about that? Uh, just flying in anything is the first one. You, you can't go fly in anything just because you have your instrument. Um, I, I think, again, there are, there are situations where you can dip your toes in the water, say that you, it's VFR at your, your departure point and your destination. It looks predominantly VFR, but it looks like in cruise, you're going to be flying through, you know, an overcast layer that's at 4,000 feet or whatever. Um, that could be a great opportunity to get some actual IMC and, and, and safely build your repertoire. But if you are, if you are a, as a brand new instrument pilot facing, you know, obstacle departure procedures and, and en route and holds and approaches and down the minimums and everything in one flight, you are going to be freaking toast by the time you get to the other side, whether you have an autopilot or not, you are going to be um, dropping some balls. That's just the way it is. Could be so, making mistakes uh, big time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's number one is you can't go in anything. Uh, number two, just continue to learn all the time. There, there are many good like instrument publications out there. Um, practicing approaches, simulators are fantastic for instrument. We didn't even bring up simulators at all, but they are like, they are like the magic bullet when it comes to instrument. Um, not only officially in, in building the 20 hours that you can in, in an AATD, but also having one at home that you can use to stay proficient, even though that time technically doesn't count. It's huge. And just learn how to, my third one is, is, uh, maybe this is more on the positive end instead of what scares me, but, um, make sure to use all your available tools. I think four flight is just amazing with that. Um, I started really early with EFBs myself. Uh, you know, back in 2010, I was like, had a portable Windows PC touch thing that it was like unheard of in the day and had all my charts on there and everything. And it was just so big. You're like a data manager 
as an instrument pilot and you, you absolutely have to be organized and keep things, uh, keep things straight. So, uh, tools like ForeFlight definitely help you do that. So those are kind of my big ones that I just off the top of my head, we didn't even prepare this, but that's know, just off right? the top of my head. I'll definitely agree. Situation awareness is huge. Uh, if you have an idea of where you are, if you can take yourself out of and see the big picture kind of vision, like blow yourself up, you're floating there and you can see the lines going from initial to uh, this fix to final approach fix to coming in a land. And you can see where you are, why you're there. That's very important. Forflight is huge. Forflight helps in so many ways and use it along with your instruments. Don't just rely on Forflight. One time I was flying freight and I was, I won't name the company, but another guy was telling me how he doesn't trust his instruments. He trusts Forflight to shoot ILS approaches down to minimums. And he was like, I do it in Salt Lake City all the time. I'm like, that is dangerous. So don't be that guy. <laughs> I hope he's not listening to this because that's awful. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta trust, you gotta use everything together to make the best decision. Uh, know your airplane, know what your airplane's capable of, uh, be comfortable with speeds, be comfortable, know when you need to slow down. Like you're, you said in the Bonanza, you knew when you could put the gear down, it would go ahead and put you in a three degree glide slope and you can go into land. Be as, just be as prepared as you possibly can be. Uh, sometimes it sneaks up on you. Sometimes you might not be the best pilot that you can possibly be that day, but try to be as prepared as you possibly can be. It'll make that flight so much easier and so much better. Yep. And it, I don't know, just like any other license, you get to choose what sort of what sort of instrument pilot you're going to be. And I think if I was going to look at an instrument pilot and and kind of pick what I wanted their character be, be someone that always wanted to learn, someone that flies the numbers and respects the numbers, someone that is uh um calm and centered and controlled in how they are progressing through their flight. I think those are the things I really look for. Uh, and obviously building on the fundamentals of aviate, navigate, communicate, you know, avoiding hazardous attitudes, all those things that we expect from a pilot. But it's interesting because really instrument, you should be flying instrument even as a private pilot in a professional way. You really should be. Absolutely. I think those are all the good points we have now. Uh, I could honestly see us continuing doing more and more and more instrument ones just because it's such a big concept. Um, what I want to do now is I just want to go ahead and challenge anyone. If you have a question, Chris and I can do this thing in the future, send me an email. Uh, I'll put a link up in my Instagram where you can swipe up through Anchor and you can actually voice your question to us. Uh, that could be a cool option for us to do as well. So we'll put that in. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have for instrument. Is there anything else you wanted to add for this one? If you want to go for it, just do it. <laughs> no. And, and, and yeah. be patient with yourself too. Yeah. I like that. Definitely be patient with yourself. It happens at different times. Uh, that, that aha moment is going to happen for you at a different time that happens for everyone else. Try not to judge yourself against, uh, uh, someone in the flight school that you're at or someone you see on YouTube or one of the influencers that you look up to. You can get there too. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to this, Chris. I appreciate you coming on as always. Uh, we got another one to do here and maybe not today. I think, uh, we've done two today, so I don't need to get some food, but. We'll see. We'll, we'll check back. Uh, I appreciate you coming on as always, man. It's always an honor to talk to you and uh, I respect your opinion about everything. So appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Very honored to be here. And uh, thanks for everyone else being here and trying to learn something new to be safe in aviation. Throttle on. Throttle on. <laughs> Avianation, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Check us out on iTunes and make sure to leave us a review on Spotify as well. Follow us on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. Avianation, hope you're having a great day. And as always, happy flying.